Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Bay. Today we have a very special guest, Natalie, who is our friend from high school. And we wanted to bring her on because she is very passionate about a lot of things and has very interesting thoughts. So we wanted to have her on as our special guest today. Um, Natalie, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly and talk a little bit about how you know us? Sure, hello, internet. Um, so we all went to the same high school. I've known Amanda and Belinda at least since middle school. Um, and yeah, I am also a student in the Bay Area, still living in San Ramon, and uh, been up to some crafty and gardening things lately. Yeah, Natalie is, or was my roommate for three years in college. Um, and that's how we have kept in touch with each other. Um, but yeah, we're all in San Ramon now. And so today we wanted to ask you, Natalie, what have you been up to in quarantine? And what are some things that you've been doing to occupy your time? I'm so glad you asked, Amanda, because I have some steam to vent about tomatoes. Okay, I have been growing almost two dozen heirloom tomato plants, which started as my pet project back in March because I discovered last summer that I don't actually hate tomatoes. I only hate the store-bought tomatoes because when I tried an heirloom tomato from the farmer's market, I didn't hate it. So then I saved the seeds because I was like, well, it would be really great if instead of paying $5 a pound for these beautiful tomatoes, I could just grow them myself one day. And then I saved the seeds and I planted them earlier this spring and I had no idea if they were gonna sprout, but a few of them did. And I was so excited that I just saved every single one that lived. And I just kept planting them in bigger and bigger pots. I attempted to transplant them outside, discover that squirrels like to eat anything that you don't want them to touch. So then my mom and I built some tomato cages out of like chicken wire and bird netting and PVC pipes. And slowly they grew and grew and now they're over six feet tall and very very large can you give us some tips on how to grow tomatoes because you actually gave me a tomato plant and it is still alive but barely there's like one tiny little green tomato growing off of it um, but i think like our soil is just like so poor in nutrients that it just keeps dying so what are some ways that I can sustain mine? Because it is definitely not six feet tall and we do not have a cage around it. Yeah, so I heard that tomatoes prefer slightly acidic soil. Um, to be honest, I just bought potting soil from Home Depot. The main difference between like potting soil and just like dirt in your backyard is that it's more aerated, which is important because when it's in a container, um, it can get really compact and that prevents roots from spreading out. So potting soil helps. Um, I don't really fertilize because it seems to be doing okay. Um, and I water it every single day because tomatoes don't naturally grow around this area. They're not exactly drought adapted. Um, so they really need that extra water. And also if you don't evenly water it like every day, the tomatoes might start to crack because they'll grow and then kind of dry and then like crack. And then they look really scary. Um, 
but those are the two main things that I've been like keeping an eye on. And also tomatoes are very delicious to caterpillars, I learned. Um, neem oil really helps with that. Neem oil is like an organic pesticide thing derived from chrysanthemum and it's safe to use up until like the day of harvest, like directly on the tomatoes. Um, so if you don't like actual DEET or other insecticide, neem oil is really helpful. Interesting. Wow, this is really good to know. My sister actually is growing a garden and she has been basically tending to her tomato plants from like the time that she planted them in like the little peat pots, I think that's what they're called. Um, that was back in like April. She's been growing them and she has seven tomato plants. She's named them after the seven dwarves in Snow White. Like they ha each have their own little name tag and every night I have to go and help her water them. But we're also growing like sunflowers and marigolds, alisum, basil. But I feel like I've been living vicariously through her gardening. Um, not actually really gardening, I just help her water the plants. But yeah, I guess I'm curious, like one question I have is like, what do you enjoy about gardening and growing your tomatoes? Like what has been like the most enjoyable part of that for you? For me, honestly, just like watching them grow up and get bigger is, it's very satisfying and fulfilling. And I imagine that parents sometimes feel like that doting on their child because every time we successfully fend off like the squirrels or caterpillars, I feel like I've accomplished something. Um, and even though they just grow by themselves and literally if you left them alone, they would still grow. Um, I feel like, you know, I'm partly responsible for that. So it's like, it's satisfying and fulfilling, but also because I actually enjoy eating the tomatoes when they're ripe. Uh, we've had three so far. They take like a hundred days to ripen, which is kind of a long time, but they're delicious. This is a really stupid question because I don't garden, but are tomatoes seasonal? Like, or do they just grow year round and you have tomatoes to eat the whole year? I'm pretty sure most of them are annual. I've never heard of a perennial tomato plant. Um, hmm. I don't know actually, but yeah, all the tomatoes I've ever grown just kind of like after they stop fruit producing and like in the fall, they just kind of start dying and then it gets really messy. Like tomatoes also have really weak limbs. So once they get really big to a certain point, like if you're not supporting them at all, they'll collapse and like break off. Um, evolution didn't really do them very well, but yeah. I also, well, my cousins were growing some heirloom tomatoes and they're really delicious. Um, they're like brownish and greenish and there's like a lot of different colors than what you see at the supermarket. Um, but I was wondering like, how did you get into gardening? Because I feel like I have tried many times and failed each time. So like, what is a way for like a super beginner to start gardening or like some easy, easy plants to take care of? Actually, Natalie also took care of my office plant for an entire year until we moved out of our apartment and it is thriving now. I'm sure that would not have happened under my care. <laughs> there are a lot of really hardy houseplants that I think are encouraging to take care of because like succulents especially, they, they're really slow growing. 
Um, but if you keep it for a couple of years, you know, it's like very obvious how much they grow. And then you feel really happy and like, oh, you've nurtured this thing. Um, and smaller plants generally are nice because they don't require much water. Even like succulents, the biggest problem I've heard people having is like overwatering it, like putting too much attention and doting on it. Yeah, um, that is me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there are a lot of herbs that are pretty hardy too, like rosemary um, is really easy to grow because once it gets a little bit of a root system developed, I mean, it'll, it'll take care of itself. They use it for landscaping around here too sometimes. Basil is also nice because as long as it's warm and it doesn't get exposed to too low temperatures, it'll just keep getting bushier and bushier and it's also delicious. Hmm, interesting. I will look into them. The only plant that I ever like successfully grew was a mint plant, which was really cool because that was like, it had a lot of leaves that we could actually eat, but a caterpillar got to them and yeah, ate all the leaves. <laughs> but that one was not dead because of me. So I feel a little accomplished about that. Natalie, you've been into like environmental stuff for so long. Like you took environmental science, you're studying it now. You're into like backpacking, hiking, camping, all these outdoorsy things. Where does this come from? Like, have you always just been interested in it? Um, okay, I would credit my mom for that mostly because camping and Outdoors recreation has been a huge part of her life growing up, and she introduced it to me and my siblings pretty young. Um, like her favorite place in the world is Yosemite. And starting from there, I think I really learned an appreciation for the outdoors from her. Um, and not just like, oh, what a beautiful scene, but like the process of planning trips, understanding the places that you go to and how they're different from other places. I mean, it kind of sounds obvious that when you go to a new place, like you get a greater understanding of what the world around you looks like. But genuinely, if you live your entire life in the Bay and you've never seen like a giant sequoia, um, it's kind of like a, it was a profound moment for me when I just realized like the diversity of other living things. And it made me want to study it a little bit more because um, I haven't traveled extensively. I haven't really traveled to like the East Coast, for example, and a lot of what I understand about like, what a healthy ecosystem looks like is basically from the environment you grew up in, like what's normal to you. And then when you start learning about what places used to look like um, or the threats that are imposing on places currently that are developing, it like, it piqued this interest in me that wanted to understand like, what is the scientific process of quantifying like the health of an ecosystem or like, biodiversity um, and the value of that. Yeah, that's super cool. And I think like what's been really awesome, like talking to you over the past couple of years is watching you figure that out and like hearing um, all the classes you've been trying to explore in and figuring out like what area of environmental science you're, you're most interested in. Yeah, I definitely didn't know straight out of high school. And it really wasn't until I took that AP Environmental Science my senior year that I even realized it was a viable 
like career option and something you could study more in depth. Um, I think it's kind of a shame that in general high schoolers have a very limited set of classes. Like obviously it's important to be well-rounded with like English and history and math. Um, but I didn't really get exposed to it as an academic discipline until I started taking college classes and I've enjoyed them so far. I only wish that we could take more labs and fields this fall, but alas. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you said about um, like high schoolers taking a wider breadth of classes. One of my regrets from high school is actually not taking AP Environmental Science. And so I'm curious, of all the classes you've taken throughout high school and college, what is one class do you think everyone should at least consider taking or like alternatively what it has been one of your favorite classes that you've taken? Yeah actually that was my question too but I also wanted to add on how do you feel like living in the Bay Area specifically which is a very unique place um, has influenced the classes that you took and the um, and what is emphasized about the Bay Area in those classes if anything? Um, in high school, yeah, I would say my environmental science class was the most formative for me um, and definitely one of my favorites. I also enjoyed uh, my Korean language class, which I understand is not a widely available class in high schools in the States, but we have a pretty high Korean American population in the Bay Area. And I remember that being petitioned for when we were in middle school. Um, and approved. So that was a unique experience that I really enjoyed in high school. And then in college, one of my favorite classes was actually a California ecology class. Um, it was over the summer and it was in the field entirely. So it was seven weeks at different field stations around California. And I think it was also UC wide. So um, students from all the campuses participated um, and that, I think, was a really valuable experience because you got to see how ecological research happens in California. It wasn't specifically Bay Area, like we also went to uh, Tahoe National Forest and Mendocino County. Um, but yeah, that California is pretty unique ecologically for having such a diversity of like biomes and uh, climates in different parts of the states. There's the elevation gradient, there's the Sierra Nevada, there's the coast ranges, then we have the Central Valley. Like there's just such a mosaic of habitats. So we have a really unique, like floristic province, plant-wise, I particularly like plants. So um, yeah, it's, it's quite a lot to study in just one state. Yeah, one thing I'm curious to get your thoughts on um, is, just like in general, how you're feeling about recent events related to climate um, and like any reflections that you might have from the courses you've taken and the experiences you've had, um, ways that like things people should know about the climate or things people should do to take climate action. Yeah, I think one of the most shocking things to me that I learned probably in my freshman year of classes is the role of larger industries in the climate. Like I think in high school, I had really internalized this idea of personal responsibility, um, like an individual action, like take shorter showers, you know, don't use single use plastic and those things being the most important changes that we can make. And it was very misleading. 
Um, obviously those things are important, but I didn't realize the extent to which like our energy infrastructure and industries actually play in climate change, which is a much broader process. Um, so I think one thing to understand is that as with any like policy driven change, um, collective action is the most important. Like there's only so much that an individual can do, which I know like Americans don't always like to hear because we always like to believe in the power of the individual. But in the case of climate change and actually making lasting differences to our trajectory, it's important to collaborate and work at broader levels. Well, in terms of policy, if you could have any policy passed, what do you think would be the most effective in terms of combating climate change? Um, recently, you might have heard about the Green New Deal that's been talked about. Uh, mainly a proponent uh, by Bernie Sanders, but also um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has uh, supported it. And in California, I believe, some modified versions of those policies have been proposed and locally it's also being discussed by like San Ramon City Council and I'm hoping that those kinds of measures can be implemented but I'm not a policy expert to be honest and I don't like know the details of it um, other than that it really aims for like making long-term goals more achievable I think one thing that stood out about the Green New Deal to me, and I don't know, like, I, I can't remember, like, the exact details off of the top of my head, but when I was reading through it, um, I think the really groundbreaking thing about the proposal is that it really connects climate to a lot of other social issues, and I think the intersection of all these issues has become more and more prevalent in recent months, um, and within the Green New Deal, they specifically, like, note that like the effect of climate on racism the effect of climate on poverty and i think it's like a very broad intersectional um like attempt to address all these different issues with a focus on climate and yeah it's that is like the dream like policy like if it could be passed definitely agreed um like there, it, nothing ever happens in a bubble, right? So like climate change effects always act disproportionately across the world, like whether that's geographically or socioeconomically. Um, and I'm really thankful that it's being highlighted specifically and explicitly in these new policies. What is, um, like, in, in terms of your classes, how, how talked about are social issues connected with environmental issues? Like, I know for me, I was not really aware of environmental racism until recently, um, but in your classes, like, through school, is that a topic that's been discussed or just more of a recent trend? Uh, one of the first classes I took as a freshman was um, more cultural and history-based. Um, it was like culture and natural resource management, I believe. And that was a really formative class for me because it like highlighted these topics specifically, pointed out that the way that a lot of people relate to the environment has been through a very expansionist colonial lens. Um, like 
even our understanding of like, the Western frontier, like what is wilderness, our relationship to the environment in that way has been kind of distorted a little bit by this American exceptionalism kind of idea. Um, and having taken that class in my first year, I think was really helpful to keep me alert to the way that environmental topics are being discussed in other classes. So for example, I'm currently taking a conservation biology class and um, conservation biology is so interdisciplinary. It's like necessarily a social and biological field that you have to pay attention to those dynamics in order to be effective. Speaking of the classes you took, I took another environmental science and policy management class, um, ESPA. Um, and one thing we talked about was, well, this is kind of random, but it's something that's always stuck with me um, in terms of fire management and forests. We're always trying to prevent fires from happening. But a lot of times, like, fire is not the worst thing that could happen and it's actually quite necessary in force and I think that just speaks to a broader policy in America I guess where we've tried to um, do a lot of these things that we think are correct um, but are actually not the best for in the environment and so I was wondering about your thoughts on that and how um, your views have changed over the years from um, something that we thought was traditionally correct to learning more in college um, and now you know um, or have a different perspective on those things. So is there like some specific topic that, that has happened to you with? Yeah, I totally agree with you with the fires. Um, I think we all kind of grew up at the tail end of Smokey the Bear kind of era fire management with this idea of like forest fires are bad. And even in our first years of college, you know, when those fires were happening and campus got shut down because air quality was so bad, we all, we're understanding wildfires in a very destructive manner. Um, and it's hard to objectively look at such destructive happenings with a kind of, what's the benefit? I like ecologically, what's happening? Um, because obviously it's emotionally charged when people's property gets damaged and people's lives are lost um, because of wildfires in the state but also fire as a management tool for forests has become more and more important. Um, and what I've learned um, is that scientists have kind of understood this for a little while recently, but it's more of a policy change that's difficult to implement. Like it's really hard to approve um, small burns because people will complain about the air quality, you know, they worry about property. So it's sometimes hard to implement it as a management strategy, but Yes, we're starting to understand that fire suppression has had really drastic ecological consequences in that forests become really dense and thick and it makes potential fires all that more severe. Um, and also that some trees specifically need fire for reproductive purposes, like some seeds can't germinate without the presence of fire. Um, there are things called serotonous cones that like won't open unless there's enough heat to melt the resin. And so we're finding that the composition of forests are even changing because there's just no new trees of these species. Um, and with more shade, like firs that love shade are starting to take over. And 
it's kind of one of those things that happen very slowly, but once you realize it's very difficult to reverse because obviously these are organisms that live for hundreds of years um, and just setting a fire is not the most reassuring way to take care of it. Obviously there's a lot of uncertainty there. So yeah, getting like policies passed about that and moving forward in management is a little bit tricky. I guess kind of going off of that, like as someone who's really passionate about the climate, how have you approached having conversations about it as it can be like a pretty controversial, like it can become a controversial topic and it's harder to articulate things about it. So I guess in your experience, I'm curious to hear how you have approached um, this topic with other people. To be honest, I've never met anybody that outright denied climate change or suggested that it was some kind of hoax or not caused by humans. Um, what I've heard though is that most resistance to climate science mostly stems from the fear of the solutions required to do anything about it. Um, I think the scientific evidence is pretty overwhelming about the trends in our like atmospheric temperatures and biodiversity loss and habitat loss and things that are affecting the world at a really broad and rapid scale. It's more that the idea that we would have to divest from fossil fuels would really cause some people to be cautious and unwelcoming to those ideas, I think. Um, but as with any science communication, I think starting from the understanding that like nobody wants to be a terrible person right nobody wants to destroy the planet um and just understanding that people that oppose these or like deny these facts don't want to do it because they're inherently an evil person or um something like that you know they would want to be understanding and that's kind of approaching this topic in a way that's a little bit more digestible um kind of like calming those fears about perhaps losing your fossil fuel job or, you know, diverting taxes into environmental programs and things like that. So like going off of their values, like their values are kind of what drive their response to um, certain climate issues. So like, would you say it's like basing it off of like trying to understand where their values come from rather than taking things at face value. Is that what you would say? Yeah, and also just like understanding that sometimes people don't want to hear the truth even if they understand it. So like telling somebody about like melting polar ice caps might not be the way to their heart, but telling them about job opportunities in green sectors or the way that they would personally benefit from improved or more stringent um, environmental regulations might appeal to them. Um, there's something in conservation biology that kind of plays off of this, this idea of the intrinsic value of nature versus the extrinsic, right? Like nature that exists for its own sake versus the economic value of nature or like the resources we can extract. And ideally in conservation, it would be ideal if everybody believed in the intrinsic value of nature and kind of like accepted that as a fact. But 
for argument's sake and for moving policy forward and being um, effective, you sometimes have to make the other argument that it's economically viable to X, Y, Z, um, or that this species is important to save because we need it for you know, resources or something. That's not the most sustainable argument to make, but um, it can be effective and it is an important conservation tool. I just want to say that it's really cool to hear about all your thoughts on this because I am not around this um, topic a lot and I don't read about it in my daily life. So it's just really cool to hear the connections between environment and social policy and basically like how it relates back to me. Yeah, echoing Shinshin's thoughts. This is really cool to hear um you and especially someone of our age speak so intelligently upon a topic that i don't hear a lot about um because i haven't taken many classes on it and i don't read about it in my daily life but um i think it's really cool how you can communicate these ideas in a way that's um, very digestible to people who aren't educated on them um so yeah this has been a really great episode and i'm really glad that um we could just ask you these questions that we have um, where we don't get a lot of opportunities to hear about these things. Um, so thank you. Um, and before we close, um, we wanted to ask you a couple quick questions, um, more fun questions just to have our listeners know you a little bit better. Um, so our first question is pancakes or waffles? I guess we can all answer these. Waffles, 100%. Waffles, me too. Pancakes. Pancakes? <laughs> I would be normally pancakes unless they're really good Belgian waffles. Mm. Oh, that's true, actually. This is a harder question than I thought. <laughs> we can move on and, to the next one. Okay, next one. Favorite color? Green. <laughs> that might have been predictable. <laughs> I would say purple. I think mine is red. Blue. Cool. Uh, East Coast or West Coast? I'm going to have to go with West Coast because I've never been to the East Coast and also I'm kind of afraid of cicadas. <laughs> <laughs> me too. West Coast for me. I would say East Coast, but I, like being on the West Coast for so long, I really understand why my parents moved here now. Yeah, I only know West Coast, so West Coast for me. Uh, I guess that speaks to the namesake of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, oceans or lakes? Lakes. Oh my goodness. Have you ever swam in like a lake in the mountains? It's so lovely. The ocean slightly terrifies me, but lakes. Ugh. Oh, I think I'm going to have to say oceans, but it's probably because I never swam in a lake before. Same. I was going to say oceans, but if I was really moved by a lake, I would probably say lake. Yeah, me too. I think I like oceans more because of how like mysterious and, and huge they are. <laughs> and skiing or snowboarding? I've actually never done either. I like snowboarding. Um, I don't know, something about skiing scares me because you go down the hill like facing forward 
but like if you just turn off <laughs> to the side, it's for some reason less scary. <laughs> I've only ever skied, but I tried uh, skiing through glades, and that was an amazing experience. Hmm. I have not done either, but if I had to be good at one, I would pick snowboarding because I feel like skiing just has a lot of things attached everywhere and I'm scared of like tripping. Um, and second to last one, favorite TV show? I think my go-to was Parks and Rec just because like there's no episode that I don't like. <laughs> I just finished Parks and Rec. <laughs> it was really good. I feel like we've talked about Parks and Rec, like, multiple times <laughs> on this podcast. Because Amanda took forever to watch it. <laughs> it took, like, two months to watch it. I love how in character all of Natalie's answers are. <laughs> <laughs> and last one, favorite movie. Oh, my goodness. This is only going to make, I think, my stereotype deeper um but princess mononoke <laughs> by studio ghibli which has some very prevalent and thought-provoking environmental themes but also it's just a beautiful movie never watched it yeah. i wish i could yeah i'll add that to my list of lots of movies to watch hmm. mm -hmm. what about you guys I think mine is Ford v. Ferrari. I really like that, and I'm not into cars at all, but it was just a really well-done movie. I would say mine is Interstellar or Hidden Figures. Hmm. Both kind of on the space theme. Yeah. I would say mine is The Shawshank Redemption. That's <laughs> it's a, good a movie one. about prison, but a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Um... And with that, I think we're coming to a close on half an hour. So I'd again like to thank Natalie for being on our episode and for um, yeah, being such a great guest. So thank you for speaking about environmental topics and educating all of us. Thank you for having awesome. me. I'm not an expert, but I love to talk about these things. Yeah, I was talking awesome to you. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye, everyone. We'll see you, Bye. Bye. We'll see you next Bye. week. Bye.